0: I want to invite Brian up, Brian Steenhook. We're welcoming Brian, and those of you who've been around Orchard know that we have uh, hired this guy to be our (laughs) campus pastor in Grundy Center and the satellite leader of our church. So those of you here from Waverly, Brian's uh, beginning to work on that too. And so Brian, you moved in this week. So uh, we we did, yeah. T- tell us a little bit about that. We're under roof. Okay. Yep. <laughs> We've got lots of boxes to unpack, but uh moved here. Uh the family is here now and so we're we're glad to be in Grundy Center. Yep. Yeah. And say a few words about your family. I've got four kids. Um oldest is uh a student at Northwestern College. She's actually with me today. So uh she's on spring break. Spring break, whatever that means, but uh and then uh my second is a son, Brennan. He's a student at Calvin College, and then I've got two kids in high school, Jory and Cameron, who are junior and freshman in high yep. school. And then my wife, Giselle. Um, yeah. So yep. we're all here together, yep. which is good. Brian's joining our teaching team. Uh, Brian, you moved here from Michigan, right? And you were in a great church there in Michigan. Yeah. And so, what did God? How did God communicate to you that you, this would be a good move for you? You know, I, I would say that. It, it, this was a, a very difficult sort of time, and really trying to discern. But one of the things that came to me, like I remember this quote from, a, I believe Augustine said, "Love God and do whatever else you want." I mean, that's kind of my paraphrase of it. And so, so you're doing l- whatever else you I'm want. doing whatever else I want. You know, I'm trying to love God as much as I can. And uh, and I think what that says is there's lots of freedom, and um, that that God had good opportunity there, but it also an opportunity here and and for what god was doing here i was just drawn to i was drawn to um who you are and and what you're about as a team and as a as a church and your mission i was drawn to the uh the whole concept of of multi-site or satelliting and the campus idea and so i just really felt that the lord was was inviting us here okay yeah well we sure we're going to look forward to your teaching in just a few minutes Well, as you can imagine, I'm a little excited today, and it's not just because the Panthers are on it at one o'clock, but it's uh, because I get to preach on this book of Isaiah. And um, I hope that you took in some of what Ed had to say there, because today we're actually looking at a chapter of Isaiah where it's revealed this ultimate plan of salvation is revealed and the suffering servant is identified. And so I want to invite you, if you've got a Bible, to open it up to Isaiah chapter 53. And uh, on the flip side, I'm also a little bit nervous, as you can imagine. This is an amazing chapter in the book of Isaiah. In fact, one scholar called it the Mount Everest of, of the Old Testament, not just of the book of Isaiah. In fact, there's all kinds of quotes about what uh, this chapter in the the Old Testament means for us as believers. But Augustine, or Spurgeon, the great preacher, said this, it's not a prophecy, or this chapter in particular, is the Bible in miniature, the gospel in its essence. And then Augustine said, it's not a prophecy, it is a gospel. In fact, some people have called it the fifth gospel. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John and Isaiah 53 or it's called the old testament John 3:16 or this idea is so important to the new testament the suffering servant that's exposed here in Isaiah chapter 53 it's referenced 85 times in the new testament so in other words this is a huge sort of pinnacle point in the book of Isaiah and what God wants to do in His story, this history of salvation. So I was thinking about that. Here you go, Brian. Here's Isaiah chapter 53. It's your first time preaching at Orchard Hill Church. Ah, no pressure. (laughs) So anyway, I hope that some of the content of my teaching uh, lives up to what this chapter is all about. So today I want to focus on this chapter and why it is really so great, or I would say radical. And the reason is, is that it's such a great passage because it reveals God's plan for redemption. This radical plan. And so, just in these next few minutes, I want us to explore that and and ask ourselves, why is that important for me? Why is that important for us today? One of the reasons why I think it's so radical or so important, so great really, is this. Is that it's totally unexpected. Just read with me. This chapter begins this with a question. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It's a great question. I want us to come back to it in just a minute. Let me just read it again. Who has believed our message, this message of redemption this coming salvation, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord is simply God's power, God's glory. He's about to reveal God's glory. And how He reveals that is very unexpected. And this is what He says. He grew up before Him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to Him, nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Let me just stop right there. The way that God is going to redeem or reconcile or bring about rescue for God's people is that He's going to send a servant And he's going to identify, become one of us, and he's going to identify as one who is the weakest among us. Not who is powerful or rich or went to all the prestigious places for education. It is one that we didn't even recognize. Amazing. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Then Let me just continue reading on in verse 4. Surely He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered Him stricken by God, smitten by Him and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. And then let me read in verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before His shears is silent, so He did not open His mouth." So not only did He come to rescue us by identifying with us, becoming one of us, He came as one who suffered to be, in fact, our substitute, it says. He took upon Himself our infirmities and carried our sorrows. See, one of the reasons why this is such an amazing chapter is that no one would have expected this. That there would be one, a suffering servant, who would become like us. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I grew up uh, in in high school, and there was there was one person uh, in my high school class that it seemed like whenever we got together, he always had these grand schemes, these grand ideas, and it usually ended up in all of us getting into trouble. <laughs> Like the time when we were about, I think, 14 years old. You know, we'd just gotten our permits and we all had mopeds and he thought it would be really cool. Let's go to the state park and let's have races on the trails and use our mopeds like little motorbikes, you know. And we ended up crashing and, and his moped was totally destroyed. Or the time in which we were in together in high school and, and we'd just gotten a license and, and I had a pickup and he said, hey, wouldn't it be fun if we got all the real estate signs in the town and we put them all in the front, the front the porch or the front yard of our teacher, or wouldn 't it be great if we took from the you know the landscaping place all these flowers that were sitting out and we, we just tossed them into the pool wouldn 't that be kind of fun? no th- these were just dumb ideas, really dumb but god 's idea was was something amazing but yet very unexpected. that God Himself would become one of us. That He would be identified with the poorest and the least of us. In fact, you think about how the New Testament takes this passage and begins to identify the suffering servant as the person of Jesus. And you think about His birth and everything about it. That He came and He was born in a manger, which was like a little cave in the side of a hill. That He grew up in obscurity in Bethlehem. In fact, the religious leader said this, What good can come out of Bethlehem? And yet, He came to be with us. The New Testament even says this, that the suffering servant was once with the Father and the Spirit and enjoyed perfect relationship. And when the Father spoke, this Son, this Jesus, this suffering servant, was the agent of creation. That through Him all things were made. And yet He became one of us. Think about that. He is the one who holds all of the universe in His hands. He holds it together, Colossians 1 says. And yet, He became one of us. Wow. Think about that. He was despised and rejected by men. And it goes on to say, Surely He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. In other words, He took on Himself... Our burdens, our sin, our stuff. I want to give you sort of a, a, an image, a visual, if you will, what I see going on. And, you know, this is my, my Bible. You kind of have to ignore that. But imagine that this is our burden, our sin, our rebellion, all of those things. And here we are. We're just weighed down. By it. And what it says is that Jesus, and the suffering servant, enters the picture and something happens like this. That he takes up on himself our infirmities, our sin, our stuff. There's this transaction that's taking place that Isaiah 53 is talking about. And I want to talk to you more about that later. So that we could be free. We could be free. He takes this upon Him. This plan is radical because it's so unexpected. How? Why? Let me just read a little bit more. I love what it says, that He was oppressed and afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. So in other words, what Isaiah is saying is that there's something going on. They would have understood this sort of image of the lamb because they understood this whole sacrificial system that goes back all the way to the Passover in the Old Testament, where the God's people were struck and in slavery in Egypt, and God comes to them and says, you know what, I'm going to release you. But here's the deal. I want you to take a lamb, an unblemished lamb, and I want you to take it, I want you to... Kill it. And I want you to take the blood from the lamb. I want you to take the blood from the lamb and post it on your door frame. So that when I come to show my glory, in fact, the angel of death, I'm going to pass over you. I'm going to pass over you. And so Isaiah uses the same kind of image. This idea that this suffering servant would be a sacrificial lamb. And he said he was silent. In other words, he was willing to go. He didn't defend himself. In fact, I think he wanted to. Think about that. Now, in the New Testament, they take this same image and they start looking at Jesus. In fact, the Gospel of John says, there's Jesus the Lamb of God, the One who takes away the sin of the world. Now when we, who are believers, look through the eyes of faith, we begin to see, wow, Jesus had a radical plan for us. The suffering servant predicted in Isaiah 53 came to be among us. He went to the cross. This is a radical thing, an unexpected thing. So, just to remind you how unexpected the cross was. I brought it a little a visual for us today, okay? See that? It's a pretty common symbol, right? In fact, we wear it as bracelets and necklaces and earrings, and we've got images all over the cross. It's really not a big deal to us. It's just something that we see a lot, for good reason. Now, imagine, if you will, just for a second, if we saw one of these. I don't know if you can see this, a friend made this for me, and uh, but it's a guillotine. Now imagine if you had that as a necklace to say, oh, nice guillotine. Oh yeah, That electric chair thing? Yeah, I'm getting that tattooed on my arm. Oh, nice. Nice noose. You know, these are all weapons or devices to use to kill people. Nice guillotine. This plan that God had for us and for God's people that Isaiah speaks about 700 years before Jesus walks the face of the earth is radically unexpected. Here's another reason why it's so dramatic and so um, radical is that it is immensely costly. Let me just read a few verses from this chapter again. In verse 5, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Or in verse 10, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in His hand. Now think about that just for a second. All of who this suffering servant is, as we understand that to be in the New Testament, is, this, is that it's Jesus, the One who was the Creator of the universe, coming to us, choosing to identify with the least and the lowest among us. So think about that when you feel small or insignificant. That Jesus came to identify with you. That He gave up this position of glory and power. The suffering servant. And then, the Bible says, He willingly was pierced for our transgressions. He took upon Himself our iniquity, our suffering. This Christmas season, uh, we preached a series of sermons at, at the church that I was from. Um, Christmas through the eyes of different characters. And I was given the character of Paul. And so I Preach from Philippians chapter 2. I want to just read just a couple of verses from there, just to remind you of the immense cost of this suffering servant. Paul says this, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me just read what other New Testament writers said. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or Peter, in 1 Peter, chapter 3 verse 18 says this, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. This is radical friends. this is amazing. That's why Isaiah chapter 53 is the pinnacle of the Old Testament. It's the John 3:16 of the Old Testament. For God so loved that he gave a suffering servant. His name His name is Jesus. So what does that mean for us? Why is this plan so amazing, so radical? Well, here's the last point I want to make today. Because it reveals our desperate need. This chapter, I think, reveals something. If God is about to do some amazing thing like this, what does it say about... His love for us, but also what does it say about our need? Isaiah says it this way: "We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all." Romans chapter three, verse 23 says this: "For we all have fallen short of God's glorious ideal. In other words, Isaiah is saying this, we all want to say to the good shepherd, see you later. Shove off. I've got a better way. I've got a different way I want to go. I want to go my own way. At the heart of it, that's what rebellion is. That's what sin is. But here's the deal. Here's what I find. I often find this, and I find it in myself. I have a tendency to overestimate my own goodness. And let me just give you an example. When I was in college, I was I was into sports, but I didn't go out for any sports in college, so I was looking for different avenues. And so I took up a new sport called racquetball. How hard can racquetball be, right? It's a racket, it's a ball, you hit it. And so I started playing the game. And I thought, you know, amongst the friends that I was playing with, hey, I started getting pretty good. I was winning most of the time. And so I thought, wow, I think I've mastered a new sport. So my senior year, I needed to fulfill a couple of more credits, and so I took a PE class, and it was called racquetball. And so, you know, I entered into this class, and um, I, the first day of class, you know how guys do this thing? We're kind of sizing up the room. <laughs> like, who's the competition here? I thought, you know, this should be pretty easy. And so, sort of in my own arrogance, I thought, I I bet I could even beat the instructor. Well, as God would have it, (laughs) the very first day, we were paired up. And uh, I remember his name was Bartlett, actually. (laughs) That's the truth. His last name was Bartlett. But he was a wrestling coach. I thought, you know, the guy's short. Like he doesn't have any reach. I mean, what? how hard can this be, right? We got paired up. I got paired up with the instructor. And we went in to play just a quick game to ten. And out of uh, graciousness, he gave me the ball and said, hey, why don't you go ahead and serve? And I believe for the next ten minutes, that was the only time that I actually saw the ball. It, it literally, I mean, he got to ten points in like six minutes. It was amazing. And I was sweating, and he was just kind of like, what's the big deal? <laughs> and we walked out of that, and I thought, well, I've, I've got to learn a few things about this sport called racquetball. And as it was happened to be, there was an, an intramural tournament going on. And I remember uh, talking to Coach Bartlett, and he was. uh, I said, "Hey, I bet you're probably going to win this whole thing, right?" And he said, "Oh no, there's some really good players here." What? (laughs) So there was like an A and B league, and all this. And I'm like, "Well, surely, you know, you're you're going to take no, no. There's some B players that beat me," he said. I'm like, "B." Where does that put me? That's like down at the F for fail. Now, I want to just use that as an example because, you know, the reality is you and I have this tendency of sort of negotiating with God, I think. Oh, you know, at least I'm not like so-and-so. You know, and and my ledger is basic. You know, I, I live a good life and, and if I could just check, have more good things than bad things, then I'm going to be okay. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says we all, like sheep, have rebelled and said, "You know what, good Shepherd, I want to live life my own way. I want to go my own direction. I want to do my own thing." Well, here's the good news. No matter what your ledger says, no matter if you've done all great things or not, God says this, I'm going to take your sin, your rebellion, upon me. And it's not about what you do because you can never be good enough. It's about what I've done. It's about what I want to do for you. So would you just take this and allow me to take it off you. I want to invite the band to come forward. I want to ask you again the question that Isaiah poses at the beginning. It's simply this. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm, the glory, the power of the Lord been revealed? It is the suffering servant. This radical idea that this one would come, identify with us, take on our infirmities, our sin, our rebellion, and say, I want you to be free. I want you to be reconciled to me. So, do something with me just for a little bit. And you don't have to do this, but I'd encourage you to think about it. Our prayer for you, for all of you, is that today you would take one step closer to God. The way that you could do that today is simply this. And maybe you want to even put your hands out like this and just and close your eyes and say, Lord, I'm tired of going my own way. I want to lay down my crown, my need to be in charge, and I want you to be my leader, my Lord, my rescuer. Take my burden, take my rebellion. Take all of my sin. Would you pray that prayer with me? Would you do that today? No matter where you are in your journey, no matter what you think you've done or not done, can you just say today, I want to come to you, Lord Jesus. I want to experience the freedom and joy that you want to give to me. And then I want to pray this ancient prayer. It's from Ephesians. It's Paul's prayer. And I want to Make it your prayer today. I pray that out of his glorious riches, that is God, that he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. O God, I pray that in this moment, we who are sinners, who are rebellious, would come out of humble submission just to say, we need You, Lord. We need You to take away, take on our infirmities, our sin, our rebellion. We want to walk with You. I pray that in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen.